Don't know if you all got the memo, but we're doing a message series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I always look forward to doing the one on patience because it's kind of an insider joke among Christians that anytime you ask God for patience, he will more than deliver. And so I know some people would probably think, if I see patience on the marquee as the subject matter for the sermon today, I think I'll pass on that one. And if you felt that way, uh, trust me, I'm with you on that. I I get it completely. Uh, But I also uh, have come back from a a nice hiking trip in upper um, Michigan uh, on uh, Lake Superior on an island. Just a complete and total checkout. And I think my wife was probably one of the first and most enthusiastic people to send me up there. Because what happens over time is uh, you get ground down in life and stuff starts getting under your skin. And you look at the people that you, uh, that, that you love and you get short with them and you get critical with them. And there's this need that you have to, to just step back and uh, refresh and recreate and recover. And this gave me that chance. Uh, And it's always ironic because every time I do a message, it seems like God is working in my life the week prior so that uh, the subject matter that I'll be preaching on is something that I've had to live through. And trust me, uh, on this topic, I I definitely have have had to live through uh, this past week uh, some of the substance of what it means to be patient. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll reflect on that just a little bit as we get into the message time. The word patience in the Bible um, can be forbearance. It can be long-suffering. Uh, it's best in this, in this particular aspect, as you look at um, how we get along together as a community, it's best understood as uh, being in contrast to being short-tempered. Anybody know what it's like to be short-tempered? Um, it means that your fuse goes off pretty fast. And I know this experience painfully well. Whenever I was a kid, one of the things I used to enjoy doing was taking firecrackers and lighting them and holding in my hand while I lit them and then drop them in the water at just the right time and watch them explode. Until one day I did that and as quickly as I lit it, it blew up in my finger. And I never did that again. Because that fuse was just so quick and so short, it caught me off guard. And I caught my hand off guard. And my fingers felt the sting of it for quite a long time. And I do know this. If you are around people and you have a short fuse, it can be pretty painful for pretty much everybody except for you. And it's always good to kind of step back and say, All right, Lord, what do I need to do to make it healthy again? And God, he's a patient God. I know a lot of us really wonder about God's character and how it is that he approaches you and I, what his posture is towards us. But the one thing that I do know, regardless of how you look at the Old Testament, and maybe you think of the God as he's portrayed in the Old Testament as somebody who's out to get us, somebody who's out to destroy people, and and you see some imagery of that. But the reality is God is very, very patient. And it's just his character and his nature to be patient. And there's one thing that he is really, I would say, enthusiastic more than anything else. And that is to have us in a relationship with him. But like any relationship, it never works well unless everyone agrees on how you should act towards one another. 
And God kind of sets the tone for how we should act towards one another by how he, um, how he behaves and how he responds. And the, and the thing that I want to make you aware of is there's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament that I think defines God's patience better than anything else. And I'd like to bring it up here. It's coming from the book of Exodus. And, and in, the, in it we, we read these words. Um, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And I'm kind of getting out in front of the scripture that I want to go to here in a minute. But the thing that I want you to understand is as we gather in this room, God is looking at each of our lives, looking at our shortfalls, our struggles, the things that preoccupy us the most, the things that we fear, the things that we suffer through, and he says, I want to make everything right in your life. But like any job that you do well, it takes time. It takes patience. And God, if anything, has been very patient with humanity for millennia, literally. And his character in the process is seen repeatedly by what's reflected in this verse. He's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that verse quoted and peppered all over to underscore the essential quality that God has that he wants to give us through his Holy Spirit. The fruit that is from his Spirit into our lives being patient. And if you were to take that word short-tempered and you were to translate it um, into its polar opposite and make it long-tempered, then you would know that's what God is. He is long-tempered. He is waiting for all of us to come to a place in our, in our lives, in our experience, in our struggles, in our mistakes. And he wants to use all of those processes in our lives to make it work together for good. I was on an island for roughly eight days. And it was awesome to be in a place I'd never been before with uh, the pristine waters of Lake Superior and the in a lot of ways, the unaffected wilderness of what that island uh, provided. Uh, have you ever been to a place where the animals literally did not basically even bat an eye that you were in their presence? Have you ever been to a place where you could be 12 feet away from a pileated woodpecker or 10 feet away from, a, from an otter or uh, 5 yards away from a moose and them not even be aware uh, that you're uh, in, their, in their presence. Uh, it was such an unusual yet awesome experience to see a, a way of connecting with nature that I'd never ever experienced before. And what it reminded me of was just how toxic our life here often is because we have a way of life that demands a lot out of us that is going at a very rapid pace and for many of us, we find ourselves just playing catch-up all the time. And many of us, we wonder in the process of the chaos and the high-speed movement that is our lives, if God is even around. And the thing that I particularly enjoyed about getting away was I prayed before I went, and some people also prayed 
that I could just see God with a little bit more clarity. That I could just slow down because I, I tend to go fast. I have two motorcycles. I'm tempted to go fast on them. I, I live my life pretty fast. I have a lot of things going on. And I'm just not used to going at a slow pace with a pack on my back. With 50 pounds of weight on the back walking slowly through wilderness, over rocks, up hills, down hills. It, it makes you just put it down into the lowest gear that you possibly have and just slow down. And it also opens up your eyes to a lot of things that you don't normally pay attention to because you're so used to just, just basically being like a rock that you, you pick up and you skim it across the water. You've probably done that and tried to count how many times the rock would, um, uh, would, would bounce before it finally just went plunk. And our lives are a lot like that. And when we're just going at the surface layer and we're going so fast and trying to live a relationship with a God that seems to move a lot slower, God, he, he doesn't get in a hurry. He moves really at the speed of love. Whatever speed it takes for his love to just be orchestrated in the lives around us, in our hearts, in the circumstances, that's the pace that he has. And I went on this hike, and I'll, I'll just show you a couple of pictures because, you know, you can't help but tell people about your trip. So I'll, I'll be patient with me. I'll, I'll burden you with that. Went on this hike up to a place I never thought even existed. I'd patiently waited for a year to go up there with some friends, prepared along the way with high expectation, hoping that whenever I get to this destination and I get to hike, it's just going to be wonderful. And my patience paid off. Uh, let me just show you a, a slide from where we went so you got a frame of reference. Anybody ever been to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan? Okay, if you've ever been there, you know that it's, it's really cool. Uh, but if you've ever been there, maybe you didn't realize that there's actually more on an island just south of Canada, out in the middle of the lake, an island about 40 miles by 5 miles, that is the only national park that is um, designated as, a, as an, an island that's designated as a national park. And so we drove 13 hours, and then we got on a ferry, and we rode in the ferry for 3 hours and 45 minutes more. And I'm thinking, this has got to pay off. And, well, I wasn't disappointed. When I got there, um, you know, I, I'll just show you another picture of, of what it looks like zoomed in. We went on half the island and we just kind of trekked around there uh, with a lot of elevation changes, uh, changes of scenery, um, a lot of things that were just there to discover, just God's Easter eggs in the midst of all of it, not knowing what to expect. And I really didn't expect this. I'll show you another picture. This is one of the guys that went with us. And if you look carefully, you notice something about his attire that's a little bit different. Uh, this is Heath Martin. And he and his buddy decided that the best way, the coolest way to hike would be with kilts. Now, I don't know about you. I've never worn a kilt. I don't know if I ever will. And to wear a kilt out in the open like that seems a little dangerous. But he swore that it is something that hikers who are elevated in their game do. And so for the duration of seven days... I had to follow these men wearing dresses through the forest. It was a little different. But they seemed to be enjoying it. 
And I never asked, are you, what are you wearing underneath there? Because I felt like that was a little bit too personal. And I, I wondered, how is this going to go? Is this going to play out well? Well, interestingly enough, we were walking on our hike through a trail that um, was marshy. And so they had these boards that you walked on. And the guy in front of me, uh, somehow, he's one of these fellows that seems to conjure up misadventure after misadventure. And sure enough, right there, he stirred up a hornet's nest. And I'm behind him. The hornets are attacking him. And he has an allergy to, to bees. And he's like, I got to get my EpiPen. And so I'm... I'm, I'm, you know, thinking, okay, you got to move on, get through this, and we'll get you situated so you don't go into anaphylactic shock. Meanwhile, kilt guy is right behind me, and I'm thinking, this is going to be interesting because as I turn around, he's going like this. And then pretty soon, I answer the question that I didn't ask because he pulls his kilt up like that. And thankfully, he did have something on underneath there, but it was a real test because the thing about kilts is it's a pretty open space for bees and hornets to fly into, which to me was a, a note in the negative column for actually considering that in the future. However, it didn't happen. He didn't get stung. It was fun, actually entertaining for me to watch him panic over this whole thing. Uh, and, but eventually, you know, he, he emerged triumphantly. Uh, my friend, uh, we gave him some Benadryl and he seemed fine. So it was all good. It was all good and God's glorious, what I would call it, a cathedral of just absolute stunning beauty. I mean, I think what saved this guy Heath was we were getting ready to take off on Sunday and he said, don't you think we need to spend a little time in worship? There's something about this experience that just kind of conjured up. Wow, the majesty of God. So everybody looks at me because I'm the token pastor. And so I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to praise God for creation, the preach for about 35, 40 minutes, and then we'll take up an offering, and then we'll be on the, on the, on the trail. That didn't go over too well, so I reduced it down to, um, I promised 12 minutes, and I got it done in eight. I was that impatient to get on the trail, and I think they were as well. But in the spirit of things, it was kind of cool to just invite God into the whole equation but the reality was, this was God's temple, and he was inviting us into the equation. And the question was, this pristine, beautiful wilderness is of such a state. Are you in the frame of mind? Are you in this place that you need to be so that you can continue to add value to this environment? Or are you in a place where you're going to detract from it? Where you're going to leave trash laying around? Where you're going to destroy things? And obviously, it was so stunning and such a blessed experience that there wasn't any trash anywhere. The people who went on this island took care of their stuff. And what I discovered with eight different people is that we all got along because we all wanted to get along. And this really was God's vision from the beginning, that the... The, the, the garden was really a temple where God was there and we were there, which is basically what a temple is. It's a place where, where man and God meet each other. And originally God said, I didn't need temples. My son died as the temple representative. But the fact of the matter is, I created all of creation for you to be blessed with and to be in and participate in and to have it giving life and health. But 
what I felt was this is truly a paradise type of environment, but the environment that I came out of was pretty toxic. And I was part of the problem because my heart and my mind was not fit for a place like that. And God sees that. And he is so patient that he's actually done something about this. He wants us to share in something so awesome that his whole design is to take a broken creation that has within it broken creatures like you and I and patiently begin to put everything back into its right place. That's just the kind of God that we have. But he knows that it's just going to take a lot of time for us to get there. And the church is the one place where he said, I'm going to begin. I'm going to begin the healing of people and everything about my creation with the church. And it's going to start with me coming into the equation. And identifying with it so closely that I will patiently endure the suffering of a cross that is unjustly thrust upon me through accusations that had no relevance to reality with the understanding that I love you this much that I'm immersing myself in the brokenness and even the death of your situation so that I can call you out of it. And God's vision is for us to ultimately arrive at a place that kind of has those characteristics. A place where we can know the fullness of his joy, where the relationships are, where we can get, get along well. But he realizes without a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb and a Holy Spirit who's going to empower the whole thing as a result of what he's accomplished. And that spirit begins to work in us in a way where when we have to get along with each other, instead of responding with all the frustration and all the toxicity and all the groaning of creation, God says, I want you to be different. I want you to have love and joy and peace and patience. Alongside several other things for the, full, for the sole purpose of making us fit for the environment that we're called to be a part of. And so God calls us into this room and he says, I'm going to work in each of your lives. Matter of fact, I've been working for a long time in each of your lives, whether you realize it or not. And I want you to know something, that as I'm doing this, because of how I've responded to you and what I've done on the cross, I have the credibility to accomplishment. And so you have to trust me. But our biggest problem is that we're, we're a little unsure because the world that we live in beats us up pretty good. And we don't know how trustworthy God is. And God says to be patient. And that's the last thing in the world that I want to do. Because the world that I live in says, if there is an internet provider that will offer me a service that goes a gigabyte faster a second than the one I have, then I'm on it. The world that I live in says, if I can order something from Amazon, uh, even though it might take a long time, I should get it the next day or the day after. The world that I live in says I can go from point A to point B uh, in pretty rapid succession through a car, through an airplane, whatever it takes. The world that I live in says I can have it now. And God says, whoa, wait a minute. 
that's not my pace. That is actually crazy, insane, too fast for all things spiritual. The world that we live in is not ready for patience. Matter of fact, it doesn't reward patience. Have you ever been to a restaurant and the server said, just have a little bit of patience, your food is on the way. And what was your response? I can just see the tip going down like that. And we are just not wired for patience. But God says the best way that I can do the work that needs to be done in each of your hearts means that you have to slow down and you have to be patient with the process. It's not an easy thing to preach because we have a relationship with two things that I think disrupt the process. I'm going to read from Romans 8 real quickly. And, um, and as I do that, maybe we'll see the problem. So go ahead and go to that first set of verses that we have. In Romans chapter 8, if I could ever be on an island and I only had one chapter of scripture to take with me, it would be that one there. It would be Romans chapter 8 because it is so rich and it defines so much from a 20,000 foot view about what we have in the Lord. And this is what we read here. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as the sons the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it there's that word with patience and in that wonderful wonderful chapter in verse 28 it says and we know that in all things all things God works together for good. And so somehow in the mix of what your life and mine is and the messiness that's there, the frustration that we have, the, the diagnosis that occurs that, we, that came out of left field or the relational breakdown that we never saw coming, all of that stuff is just the creation's way of saying we're groaning, we're groaning here, it's not working well. And what God is saying, be patient. I'm working for we know that in all things, God works. And patience is a, it's a weird word. I mean, the other thing that happened to me this week was my, my son had an ab- abdominal pain that it wouldn't go away for several days. And so finally, my wife took, her, took, took him to the doctor and they immediately sent him up to the emergency room. So on Thursday, I, I, I get a phone call saying, we're up at Boardman at the emergency room. Uh, trying to get your son checked out. So I, 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 I try to go as fast as I can, but wouldn't you know it, I get outside of town and this big truck pulls out in front of me. And it just crawls all the way to Columbia and I'm thinking, well, at least he won't be going to Boardman. Well, no, he goes to Boardman. And I'm like, I don't know what to do here because my son's in the hospital and I got the slowest truck on this road that I normally would, could go a little faster on, just blocking the view all the way till it turned into four lane. And I'm thinking, man, I just don't have time for this. And I get to the hospital, and then I, I've been to the hospital. I've been to the emergency room. Any parents been to the emergency room? Emergency shouldn't even be in the vernacular. It should be something else. 
the slow room, the slow response place. No offense to nurses, I get, you know, your burden. But we got there, and I'm like, this is going to take a while. And I thought about it. What do they call people who are in the hospital? Patients. Why is that? Well, I don't know who just, but yeah, I know, I'm slow. But think about it for a minute. The reason that they call them patients is because we have no control. We have no control whatsoever as to the response time of the medical professionals. And And I'm certainly not saying anything disparaging about them. But it did take about six hours for the doctor to finally come after a series of tests and tell us, it's an enigma. We don't know. I'm like, man, slow truck, lots of tests, sitting in the hospital room. This is, this is not productive or constructive. And I was very frustrated. But here's the thing that God calls out in you and I. And it's how we, how we approach these things. I just want to go to the first point in the message. And it's simply this. Cultivating patience means to face life's challenges constructively. And we were truly patients in that regard, in that setting, waiting and waiting and waiting to try to find some resolution to the problem that we had hoped for, only to not really discover it just yet. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you got an issue with God, or you got an issue in your spiritual life, or something going on, and you're saying, God, where are you? God, when are you going to step it up? God, when are you going to change things? God, when are you going to take me out of this season of suffering and bring me some relief? God, when are you going to show us the pathway that we need to go down for healing? God, when is this relationship going to get right again? You know, if we act, based on that, that, that series of inquiry that we just, we just had, my guess is, from God's point of view, we're also all spiritual patients. We're all called to wait for the healer to do what he does. And sometimes it takes a lot more time than we realize. And we face life's challenges, and we don't want to face them constructively. We want to face them in a way that says, I don't want to waste my time unnecessarily. I don't want to spend time doing things that are not going to create a good result. I don't want to invest my time in something that is not going to change the circumstances that I'm in. Do you notice all the words that I used? Waste, spend, invest. You know, that's really the type of language that we have now. We're people that are so constructed in our way of thinking that everything is a commodity. Everything is valued based on money. And if you think about our relationship to time, it's always about wasting time, spending time, leveraging time. Time is always something that is so precious that we have to carefully manage and monitor our relationship to it and our, our usage of it. And so if a person comes into your, into your life and they say, do you have some time for me? And you're calculating, is this person worthy, worth investing my time in, will it give me a good return? And we get caught up in that in such a way that even as a pastor, it blurs into my world. And there are things that I have to do administratively. And at times, I'm, I'm, I'm hyper-focused on something. I've got a workflow going. And somebody knocks on the door and says, can I come in and talk? And my first thought is, no, I don't have time right now. 
um, I can't spend time with you right now. And then I realized I just commodified something, someone. And when we measure other people by the relative value that they have to our lives, in those economic terms, it'll either benefit me or it won't. Maybe we're looking at it wrong. Have you ever thought about when God calls us into a relationship with somebody? He's not saying, don't waste your time with that person. Don't spend your time to that per- with that person. You know what God's saying? Devote yourselves to that person. When you dev- What's the difference between spending time with somebody and devoting time to them? If you're spending time with somebody and that somebody is maybe talking on and on and on and you're thinking, man, I wish they'd hurry up. And you're saying to yourself, I- I'm wasting my time here. You're actually doing God a disservice. And you're doing that person a disservice. And as we're doing that, we're thinking, it's just a commodity. Bless you. And, and as, as God is looking at us, he's saying, if you devote yourself to somebody, you're not weighing the options of whether or not it's going to benefit the bottom line. You're just saying, I'm here to be present to you without any expectation that anything's going to come out of it. I'm here to be present with you because I know in this conversation, in this relational connection, God's working. God is working. Because in all things, God works. And when we're there, God is saying, I'm doing something, and you're not going to probably see the outcome of what I'm doing. And we're not wired like that in our culture. If we spend time, we want an end result. God says, it doesn't work that way. I'm very patient, and you're one person in a whole succession of people that I'm using to demonstrate my love through, through my people and through my process. So we face life's challenges, and when somebody comes into our life, we don't say, I don't know if I have the patience for this person. But rather we say, God, you've put me here. Help me to dev- be devoted to this moment. Now, I've got to be honest with you. My son was in the hospital, and I wasn't sure what was going on. I'm looking at my watch, and I'm saying, i got stuff to do. I gotta, I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm losing out on some things that we're working on. And I was tempted to go, and I could just see it on the faces of my wife and my son. Like, I'm like, you know what? I can be here as long as I need to be. And there's an attitude that God says that we have that we need to foster And that is devotion. But here's the second thing. The other challenge to cultivating patience uh, means to respond to others constructively. We have our own issues on how we relate to time. And we may relate to time in a way that says, don't waste it or go fast. But when it comes to other people, God is saying, no, other people are sacred. All of my creation is sacred. And everything that I call you to do should be in alignment with building them up. And as God is looking at us in this room, he's seeing a community and potential in the making. But he's also seeing that each of us 
if we spend enough time with each other, we're going to rub one another the wrong way. And it's going to get frustrating. But when God says, stick to the process, stick to the process, stick to the process, it's his way of saying, yeah, you're going to rub each other the wrong way, but yeah, the community of people that you're a part of is so worth it that if you trust me in time, despite your differences, despite the fact that sometimes we annoy each other, you're going to learn to love each other. And that's the beauty of being in a church, is that if you're patient with the process, in time, some pretty good fruit emerges. In the book of James chapter 5, I don't have it listed up here, but James says that our lives together is like a farmer who is planting a crop. And the farmer is just waiting patiently to see how that seed emerges into a little, a little plant. And then that plant becomes something that fully grown adds uh, a dimension to it that is not seen until that time. And that is the fruit that comes out of that. And what God is saying is, as a people together, it's a lot like a farm. You don't see the fruit, but when the fruit comes, it's worth it. On, on this hike that we were on, uh, there were these little red berries. And you know, as a kid, people say, don't eat the red berries because they can kill you. But a person who knew what they were talking about said, yeah, you don't want to eat those, but these you do. Have, anybody, have any of you ever had a thimbleberry? No. It tastes kind of like a raspberry. And they only grow up there in that area and then west of the Rockies. And I had a chance to be on an island with a group of people at that very exact season when the thimbleberries were just now ripe. And the blueberries had just ripened. And they had told us, they said, don't eat uh, more than a quart of blueberries at a time. Can you imagine being on a trail and eating a quart of blueberries? The horrifying outcome of that. Well, maybe not. But it is kind of funny because there are dangers along the way, overindulgence being one of them, but the recognition that at appropriate seasons you can benefit from the fruit. Whoever populated that island with thimbleberries, they didn't see necessarily how that would benefit people down the road. But I happened to be in the right place at the right time to see the right fruit that I had nothing to do with. And I was able to enjoy it without any awareness of the people who are responsible, perhaps, of, 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 of maybe planting it or somehow the bird, you know, did that, that thing and made it happen. I have no idea. All I can say is thank you for doing what you did because those symbolberries made the, make the, made the hike that much more enjoyable. And God's saying there's fruit that's going to come out of exercising the fruit of the Spirit in ways that you cannot imagine. But like God, we have to be faithful to the process. And God is so faithful to the process that at times we're like, God, we don't even understand what you're doing. You're taking so long. Sometimes we look at the cross and we say, what really happened on that cross and why does it make any difference? And many of us have come closer to that cross and we've, we've seen the taste of death that God had interacted with and the vulnerability that God found himself um, uh, displaying in that moment and then we see an empty tomb a few days later reminding us that there is something far better. Now the interesting thing about hiking with people who wear kilts 
is you're thinking, that just looks like a bad idea. But the more I saw those guys carry on with their kilts, the more I thought, maybe that's not a bad way to go. Then I thought about wearing dresses in the wilderness, and I thought, maybe not. But I realized that the rationale behind wearing the kilt enabled those guys to just trek through the, the, the woods a lot faster. They actually were always at the front and way ahead of everybody. And I'm thinking, well, I don't quite understand it, but it definitely is effective. And I wonder, as you come into a place like this, and you're asking yourself questions, because the world that you're living in is chaos, it is fast-paced, it is demanding, it wears you down, and it is confusing at best. And at times we just wonder, is it just all about money, or is it all about the bottom line, or is it all about productivity, or does God have something better? And maybe God's called you into this place to say, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense at first, but if you stick with it, you begin to see that it just makes all the difference in the world. God's been patient with each and every one of you, myself included, from the very beginning of our time here on earth with the end game in mind of taking that which we are frustrated about, that which we groan over, that which we fear like death itself, and transforming all of those apprehensions and misgivings into something that looks a lot like hope. And the hope that we have in this room is centered in the cross of Jesus, the empty tomb, and a promise that God is going to take everything and one day make it right. To take the old creation and renew it into something better. And he starts with us. And he starts with you. And he starts with his spirit working in your life. Just ask you to surrender your life to him however you need to do that. Put him first. And then begin to see how that relationship emerges into something that you never thought possible. And when you do that, become a part of a community like this church and realize that we are not perfect people. But the more we keep in step with God's spirit, the more the good things come out that make this a wonderful place to be a part of. I don't know how, where you're at in the steps that God is taking you through. But my guess is he's saying, take another step and I'll show you something pretty cool.